Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this episode of ASU Veteran Diaries on BlazeRadioOnline.com. I am your host, Chris Cano. This week, very special guest that these two have uh, pretty much taken over Instagram from what I've heard. I got Michael and Cammie Leal in the house, Army veterans. Welcome to Veteran Diaries. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. So the goal of Veteran Diaries is to highlight veterans, dependents, which we know are kids and people involved with our veterans and then everybody involved with our veterans in the community so that way we can really speak to the why we do what we do and and be a, a resounding voice for the community i am extremely extremely uh blessed to have you two come in today and um, i look forward to this veteran diary so let's go ahead and kick it off with a question everybody gets why are you guys so involved with veterans well for my portion um I believe giving back uh, to the veteran community is a big deal, and it gets lost in translation with a lot of people, um, especially nowadays politically, and we're, we're kind of outside of that, and we like to give back, whether it be through fitness, advice, um, anything we can truly you know, help others with. So I'm going to caveat off of that. Um, we just want to give back because basically they've given so much. Don't get me wrong, we're in that part too, but these soldiers have given up so much of their lives. So why not help them out when they need help, basically? And I definitely concurred with everything that you two just said in that regards. It's it's helped me a lot with, with where I'm at. But let's talk about the blow up real quick. You guys got out in 2017 and then what happened? How How did you get to the point that you're at right now and kind of explain where that point is? I'll start this one. <laughs> so for me, it was my tour in Afghanistan, basically, that it all started. I was working out with my soldiers, deployed, and I would post stuff from the gym, inside the gym that I could. And I did that, and all of a sudden, this company, Military Muscle, picked me up. And I will be forever forever indebted to them. They're amazing. And they, their mission as well is to give back to veterans. So it was a win-win. So when I got back, back from Afghanistan, I was actually a paramedic before I went. So when I got back, I was like, let's try this fitness thing out. You know, I'm really good at it. So I just got my feet wet. And I wanted to start helping people. So I started helping um, soldiers with their PT tests, like the PT failures, everything, just to get it going, just to get activity back into soldiers' lives because it is lost. Sometimes it is gone. I've seen it. And so I just wanted to give that back. I wanted to, I guess, create a spark again. You know, that's why I did it. And that's how it blew up. It just took off from there. And because I'm so honest and the military has taught me to be very blunt, that's just how I am. And people, for some reason, I guess, got attracted to that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and for my piece, um, I wasn't really big into social media prior to, you know, being married to Cammie because she had a huge following. It was like what, over 100,000 before Somehow, your account got hacked. Yeah. And um, people knew me from that aspect. And me helping out soldiers, you know, prior to getting out was mainly the same thing she did. Physical fitness, PT failures. Um, I learned how to diet and work out on my own. And people saw my results and they're like, holy crap, how, you know, how do you do that? And I said, you know, let me show you the way. And I would help out, you know, my soldiers, you know, fellow soldiers, you know, and other companies, stuff like that. And that's how I, I learned my, my craft. And then I actually started coaching people that compete on the down low without really any telling, telling anyone. And um, that's where I got my knowledge. Um, and we kind of blew up from there as far as, I mean, we have clients all over the world now from that. Yeah, I, I fancy myself a gym rat when I apply myself or there's not family stuff going on with the little one at home and I can't get yelled at for taking off to the gym. But um, I do know that there is personal satisfaction uh, that is really hard to compare. It's almost like, um, you know, for me being a coach of a sport uh, that, you know, when it comes to lifting weights and, and to everybody wants, the, you know, that initial, I want to do it. And then very a lot, many fall off. But when you have people stick, the sense of completion to watch people grow has to be amazing. Can you talk to that a little bit? It's like I'm a mama bear. I have like yeah. all of I have no children on my own. So it's like all of my clients are basically like my children. I get so proud when I have a woman come up to me that has PCOS and she comes up to me and I And what's PCOS? Um 
uh, polycystic, polycystic ovarian yeah, syndrome. Yeah. A lot of women are diagnosed with that lately, and it's kind of geared toward obesity and then being infer- like infertile. So I've had a couple of clients that I've actually, I was able to reverse that and to get that feeling of a woman not thinking she's pre- able to get pregnant. And then in the next email, when she's been with me for eight weeks, to tell me that she's pregnant and she can't believe it. You can't beat that. Like, I can't, I can't even, like, I'm getting emotional. Like, it's, it's a very satisfying and gratifying feeling. And especially this past year, we had about, what, like, five or six women that that happened to? Yeah. I'm kind of like uh, the fertile coach. Absolutely. And <laughs> in the same, same piece with that is that you get to see people's lives change. You know, people that are, you know, either overweight, um, that maybe just want to lose 10 pounds and they're so satisfied and they'll post pictures of themselves online and that, you know, they feel good, they feel sexy, feel confident. Um, it's, it's changed what couples lives, you know, saying like, Hey, my, my husband looks at me a different way now or vice versa. And it's very satisfying. And, and I love, it. I actually love coaching more than I love competing. <laughs> I mean, that, that speaks enough to, I mean, we could stop right now as far as the why goes and really <laughs> just expound on that. Uh, let's just, let's back it up a little bit. Let's go back and we'll start with Cammy. Where'd you grow up? Uh, what was your childhood like um, go pre-military? Okay, so I grew up in Louisiana. I'm Cajun. Um, I grew up basically a little bit all over, but we settled down in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And my childhood was a bit rough. Uh, of course, my dad was in and out of the picture. He was abusive. So that was kind of hard to deal with as an adult, but you have to find a way to do that. And I guess my veering off of not having what my father gave me is now veering off to me wanting to overly help people, which I think that's a great quality. I don't know. So my childhood wasn't that great, but it also made me who I am today to be strong and to know I can overcome anything and come out successful and on top. So that's what I want to instill into my clients too, to let them know like, Anything is possible. You can come out, have nothing, and come out of it on top. But you have to have the motivation and the drive to do it. Put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. High school? What was high school like? So I was um, a nerd slash jock. So I was a bit, I was like, I played basketball, volleyball, softball. But since my home life was bad, I threw myself into school. So that's where the 4.0s came in and me just throwing myself into my school. It's crazy. I I feel like I had the same upbringing, but I did the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) It usually happens that way. I have no idea. I just always knew I wanted to break the cycle. Like even at a young age, like I knew I had to do something. I've started to have some of those same feelings just recently when, you know, I set the goal to go back to school, um, you know, of my brothers and sisters right now. I have two, two half sisters. Well, one has graduated, but when I started, um, of the three that were, you know, in my life, I, I was the only one to graduate high school. And now when you look at college, like none of my parents graduated college, you know, and it's like, all right, I, I want to, br- I want to do that now. And now a master's degree is coming in the picture. I'm like, who would have imagined, right? Who would have thought? It's the drive and the willpower that gets you there, I'm telling you. But it's absolutely a lesson. And for yourself, Michael? So I grew up actually all over the place. Uh, I was born in Hawaii, lived in Southern California. You need to tell them how we grew up differently. Yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, and then upstate New York. Um, I, Cam and I, our, our upbringing was polar opposites. Say no more. <laughs> upstate New York. There we go. We were polar opposites. And um, my family was very wealthy. I was very privileged as a, a kid and you know in high school even now I am but my parents didn't hand me everything you know my friends were driving around in really nice expensive cars I had to earn what I had you know I drove a a really old Nissan Altima that barely worked and broke down all the time so that's where it was a little different um I was a huge jock in high school and I was a nerd I played magic cards I played video games computer games I was a huge (laughs) computer nerd too um and I was actually going to go to VMI uh, Virginia Military Institute for College to play Division One lacrosse, and um, I was like, "Oh, I can't!" You know, I went and visited. That's a great school for yeah. lacrosse too. That's like one of the best <laughs> in the country. I went down for my recruiting trip. You know, the coach wanted me there, and I was like, "You know what? The military life isn't for me. I don't want to be in the military." <laughs> and then uh, a few years later, look where I end up in the military, and um, th- that's how we were different, you know. And I think her growing up the way she did and the way I did. It, it makes a really good mesh for our relationship and you know, how to deal with situations. It balances it out for sure. I, I, I have my, 
my family's blue collar. So is my wife's family. But there's differences in when we had to, we had a come up and, and they were established. So there, there's just differences in how we we work. Uh, my problem solving skills are out of control good uh, compared to hers. They were kind of figured out a lot. So, you know, I understand how that mesh can actually balance things in the relationship. Now, what prompted joining the military? Oh, I get to go first? Yes. <laughs> okay. First. So um, I was in college at this point in time. I was in nursing school, and I had just met my first husband. Uh, Mike sorry. is my second. Sorry. They were both on our second marriage. <laughs> so I just met my first husband, and he was infantry, and he had just gotten back from deployment from Iraq. And we just started dating and everything, and I didn't like nursing. For some reason, the nursing teachers were just wretched. They were just like horrible, horrible ladies. <laughs> they were mean. And so I was like, I don't want to do this. And so I kept seeing the camaraderie he had with like his infantry buddies. And I'm like, yo, I know I'm good at medicine. I was like, I am really, really good at medicine. I was like, let me try this out. So me and him, when we got married, I had to just I had to talk with him. And I was like, I know I can be a medic. I know I can do that. Like, and I know I'll be really good at it. And so... Lo and behold, I went to MEPS, and I was like, let's do this. And I was like, I only want to be a medic. That's it. And I was like, if I can't do it, I was like, I'm walking out of here. And sure enough, like, took my ASVAP, did everything, and that I was signed up. I was a medic. And then, because I, I knew, like, if I was downrange, I knew I had the calm, cool, and collective wits about me to be able to bring somebody home and save them. So I was like, I was very confident in my skills. So I was like, this is what I have to be doing. And for Mike, what was your starter marriage like? So, um, I wasn't married when I joined the military. I was actually still in college. And, um, I, you know, I was making poor choices in college. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to join the military. Um, after all this stuff about not going to VMI, I decided to do it. So, when I signed up, I was like, you know what? I just want to work on computers because I played a lot of World of Warcraft. And I was like, I'm good at computer stuff. Um, the recruiter asked me, hey, do you want to jump out of airplanes? Do you want to do? I was like, nope, I don't want to do any of that stuff. I just want to work on computers. Lo and behold, a year later, I am an airborne ranger <laughs> on my way to ranger school. And um, that, that's where I ended up. And it, it molded me into the person I am now. And I'm actually grateful for it because it showed me how to be basically a man and be a leader. And, and without that, um, I, I don't think I'd be here today. And, and that's where, you know, her and I differed as far as when we joined, you know, our outcomes. and We both joined later, though. Yeah, we did. I, I was 23. I was 23. Yeah, 23. So so when you talk about being a man and, and learning how to, to become a leader, do you feel like it was just something that happened via the training and it was there? Or did they instill this in you and then life experience really helped accent, accentuate what they gave you? So I wasn't a very outspoken person before I joined the military, and I was, you know, I'm still relatively quiet. But when you get put in the spotlight to be a leader, um, or even experience things like death, or you know, other other issues as far as you know, soldiers dealing with deployments, going to the range, all this other stuff, you have to be an adult. And I didn't know how to be an adult until I joined the military. So. All that stuff, you know, came together and it molded me into the person I was. I was a leader. I, I had soldiers beneath me that I trained and I made sure they were taken care of. And I never had that before. I never was able to do that. And I think that translates now into how we even train people. It's like we take care, we coddle them in a sense, you know, that they're ours. So that, that's how it molded me. Chris Cadeau here with Michael and Cammie Leal both Army veterans and personal trainers, and uh, they are taking uh, the social media platforms by storm right now. We're going to get into more of that after the break, but kind of hitting in a little bit on their on their personal life and their journey up in, into the military, and now we're on Cammie. Cammie, how did you end up in the Army as far as, in, as far as what you were doing medically compared to what you were doing before? I know you had said that you know, that you could do this, but once you actually got there, was it, was it the same feeling? Oh, it was cake. <laughs> most people, <laughs> most people like looked at basic training and like advanced training and were scared. I looked at it as a challenge. I am one for a challenge. I love a challenge. I'm telling you this. So my drill sergeant, I was mouth of the South. If you did not know, that's not good to be known 
by nickname by your drill sergeant. So there we go, if that says anything. So, but my advanced training took off. Like I got everything, everything was just clicking, like between the trauma lanes and just even the classroom, everything. So it was just, I knew I was where I needed to be. Cause like I said, everything just clicked. And now as far as airborne goes, um, the, the assignments in, in, in your job um, I just I had coffee with uh, with Kevin Tillman, not to name drop, uh, two days ago, and we we kind of talked about Ranger and up a little bit and what that means. Uh, how did that help you develop into the man you are today? So one one of the big things you take about you know being a Ranger take away from it is that when the chips are down, you have to still perform and be at your your top level. And to me, regardless of the situation, you know I'm I'm put in. I will always ranger up, and that's the term you use, you ranger up to the situation. You know, you're, you're going to find a way to complete it or do whatever task or do anything. Um, and if you live that mentality, it, it's kind of weird at first, you know, when you're a private and you have that. But when you're you're older, you're like, holy, you know, holy crap, this is this is an actual thing. You know, it's just motivation. You know, if you, although it could be false motivation, it's just motivation to uh, accomplish any task. And we use that for, I use that for everything. You know, I'm just ranger up. <laughs> I just call it pulling, putting your p- big girl panties on. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't get to ranger up. <laughs> nothing, nothing beautiful. And I'm just going to just put my big girl panties on. Exactly. And, and motor on. So, I mean, 2009 to 2017, uh, eight years, uh, I was on that path before, before I got sick. And I know what it's like to roll into that, that second enlistment and be a, you know a leader to your troops and to you know be expected more from from the higher ups. But then also understand the bureaucracy and all the other type of stuff. What would you say the hardest part about being a tenured uh, service member was while you guys were both in the army? One thing I'll always take away, and it it still remains true. I think even in the business world, is that as you move up the ladder in rank, you know that kind of situation, you you have less friends. And it, it's hard to kind of deal with that because you have to be a leader at some point in the military. And I found that I was a, that was a difficult part, um, you know, just being, you know, senior at E6 in what, four years I made it, you know, to staff sergeant in four years. And then, you know, you, a lot of your friends are still, you know, younger or privates and it's hard to still be friends with everyone when you, you know, have that job separation, the duty separation. So that, that was a difficult thing for me, I would say. That wasn't for me. <laughs> I don't know. Medical, the medical field is different. So when you're in a medical unit, it's like you're talking to your higher ups as if I'm talking to you right now. Because if an emergency comes in, you don't have to time. You don't have the time to stand at attention and be like, "Yes, sir," <laughs> or "I need a chest tube, sir." Can I place a chest tube, sir? So it's just like we had more of just like an outside casual like talk but you did what you needed to do all right i'm full of questions now okay so was there like a like code like if if the voice went deep enough if it was stern enough you knew you were locking into poa oh there was there's videos out there of me doing it (laughs) everybody wanted me to go to drill sergeant school i just never did oh i've locked up many because my whole philosophy with my soldiers was we we literally we are adults if i ask you to do something literally just do it but if you make me look like a fool, I will own you. And I've done it. <laughs> I, I believe it. I mean, it, as hard as it is for, for anybody who wasn't in the service to hear this, uh, the terminology Marines use is we, we take souls. And, and then once that happens, then learning occurs and everything's good. So I'm right there with you. Exactly. <laughs> so what was your – Cami, what was your favorite part about being a leader – uh, with in, inside the military aspect? So I've been with multiple units because I'm, I was in the National Guard. So I'm, I was in Arkansas. I was in Arizona here. I was in North Carolina. But I have to tell you, my favorite, favorite time was when I was in Arizona. I was with an infantry unit. And my guys were absolutely amazing. Like I, I would drill my medics, my line medics, so hard. And they would always perform. It was insane. The work ethic that I saw at that unit was amazing. Like that was my favorite. <laughs> and, and for myself, I, I was very knowledgeable with computer stuff and communications equipment. And when I had soldiers underneath me that, you know, I trained, I trained them to be the best at what they could do so that they didn't need anyone getting on their case. And that, that's what it should be across the board. 
Um, especially giving them homework and so like that's that's a thing that's kind of lost is I, I would give my guys homework like hey look this up tonight and it just you slowly build up over time you know someone's education on whether it be a radio a computer and it's just those little nuggets of information that you know that help you know even over the course of a year or even a deployment you know someone mm -hmm. can learn something brand new just by little pieces of information I see your armbands I have a few myself um, do you want to talk about those and what they mean to you yeah, so my two KIA bracelets I'm wearing right now, um, I actually have five of them. <laughs> I only wear two because um, I, can, you know, I can't have them all, so I'm going to have them condensed. But um, one of them's from Sergeant Domey, who was killed in Afghanistan um, on my second deployment in Kandahar. And then the other one is Thomas McPherson, who was in my company uh, on my third deployment to Sharana, which I've done six deployments so far <laughs> you know, in my career. And... Um, these people are very influential to me. Um, Sergeant Domey was the first JTAC, the Army, you know, JTAC, um, I think in the, in the military, and um, was on Jessica Lynch's rescue, stuff like that. And him and I were talking before he went out on mission. He actually scared me <laughs> before we went out on mission. And um, when he got, when we got to the target, um, he was one of the guys that was killed. There was two other people, Lieutenant Ashley White and uh, Private First Class Christopher Horns. And um, that was my first experience. It was a mass casualty. There was three KIA, multiple injuries. Um, it, it was a rough thing, and it, it's an experience that I learned from because, you know, being a radio, I was an RTO, radio operator, um, you get put on the spot. You know, you have people dead. You have to make calls, stuff like that. And um, that it was a really big learning experience, and it was, it was a tough time uh, because I kept going back to that same place that, the, the IEDs went off at five times after that. So um, it kind of had me on my toes a little bit. But uh, I learned, and it was a learning experience that I could actually pass on to my guys, you know, after the mission. And then uh, Thomas McPherson, uh, he was killed um, a gunshot wound uh, in the axillary area. And um, it was the last mission of our deployment before we went home. And it was rough. We didn't lose anybody. I mean, we were in probably 40, 50 firefights that, that deployment, our deployment's very short, about three months. And um, it, it was a tough thing, but it, it's family. And that's what I consider the, the Ranger Brotherhood is family to me. So the, this, these are my family members and I just don't forget them. So when when you were processing that, um, I, I know it's hard because you're probably still processing, but, but timeline of cuteness as far as, you know, how difficult that situation was for you, how long would you say that, that lasted? I would say the, the initial onset of everything didn't hit me until I got home. So a few months later of just the first experience. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest about it. When I got home, I was drinking, you know, until I couldn't remember it, all this other stuff. And I, I woke up one day and I was like, this isn't the right way to handle it. So I went to counseling. I talked to people. And that 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 is what a lot of people are afraid to do. You know, I'm an army ranger. I've been in combat. I've done all this stuff. But... I'm too scared to just talk to someone about how I feel. And I feel that's across the military. And I, I still deal with it today. There's things I think you can ask her. You know, I wake up still having dreams, nightmares, stuff like that. Not as much yeah. um, as it used to be. But at the same time, going out and getting the help, just just talking about it, is, it helps tremendously. And, and I recommend that to people that, you know, have these issues with, you know, being afraid to talk to someone because you don't want to give up that, like, I guess you could say the macho-ness of, you know, being a hard infantryman or regardless of whatever your, you know, MOS is or job. But um, it was a lifesaver for me and it, it got my life back on track. So. But it wasn't a pretty picture at first. No, absolutely not. It was difficult and yeah. it, it took years of learning to work on myself and, and to deal with it. You know, I've been through multiple mass casualties after that and I still had to learn how to process it and then um, deal with it on my own and talking through therapists, social workers, all that stuff. So where, where do you fit in this process, Cammie? I listen. <laughs> no, um, I basically, I've, I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it with many soldiers. So I just ask him what he needs. Like, I know his triggers. I know when he's feeling anxious. I know that he, when he does start getting anxiety, he needs to go listen to music. I know what type of listen, music he needs to listen to. I know that that's the only thing that calms him down. So I just, I let him do his thing. We've discussed like all of this stuff because 
you're going to have to discuss it in a marriage, especially being in the military, especially if your partner does suffer from PTSD. You have to kind of be in there and understand it or try to understand it at least. If you can't understand it, if you haven't been over there, at least listen and just try to understand. I mean, what listening, understanding, I mean, is, can you think of any other vital, you know, pieces of, of your process that, that would help, you know, other spouses, either men or women that, you know, have a, a service member or even a police officer, you know, response, you know, somebody that goes through this uh, or a, through a demographic that has experienced this? The thing is to show empathy, but not sympathy. They don't want your pity. They just want you to know that you understand that something is wrong with them and that they're trying to fix it. And that's what I understand with my husband. He is very well aware that he has anxiety and he has PTSD. And we just, we find things to help us live with it. If it makes sense, because it's never going to go away. It just doesn't. So you find things to make it better. So that's where the fitness comes in. That's where helping people comes in. That's where him going seek counseling comes in. And I've been I've been to his therapist with him. I've went and sat and talked. So it sounds like that you know the marriage like you just have to be all in with each other. It is. Absolutely. It's all in or nothing. You have to be each other's rock. Literally, like you have. It's just something that needs to be done for it to be successful. It, it, and I would say this too. It, it was difficult at first because. When we first started talking before we got married, um, you know, she didn't understand it because we were actually long distance for two years. Yeah. Yeah. So she didn't really understand it because, you know, we talked via phone or text. And, you know, sometimes I was just in a mood, a funk. And it wasn't until we started living together and being around each other where that she, I understood she it. understood it. And, you know, I told her, hey, this is how I feel. Um, this is what helps me. You know, I, she was explaining the music thing. There's music that I listen to that helps me um, just calm down and not be as anxious or, you know, whatever I'm feeling. So that's that's where the communication comes in where, you know, if someone's not all in, and I've seen it with, with couples. You hit it. Communication. Yeah. That's what people lack these days. You got to talk to each other. Where, you know, the spouse could be like, well, that's not my issue. You know, he's just acting out or she's just acting out and that's not how it is it's you have to have some type of empathy and like she said no sympathy it's just i understand how you feel how do we make it better my 18 month old she uh contracted mono uh about two weeks ago and we were in the hospital for a week and she had 104 fever all these things there's nothing they could do oh for God. it they thought it was something else so it took a lot longer and our dog was diagnosed with cancer a couple of weeks before that so there's a bunch of stuff now i'm telling you in the I've known my wife for 13 years. We've been together for nine years. We've been married for five. I'm usually the rock. And I literally said to her, like, when I just broke down, like, at the hospital with the kid, I was just like, you know, you're, I was like, well, this is a role reversal. I was like, you're my rock now. Like, and, and I just, I knew in that moment when we both were there looking at each other that this is how it's going to go. We're going to flip roles and it's just going to happen. And through, because we communicate well, it allows us to do that. That warms my heart because it, <laughs> it, seriously, that's, that's how it goes. It's, it's a give and take. Sometimes I'm not going to be the strongest person. Sometimes I need him to be strong for me and vice versa. So it's, it's really nice. Now, sound like you really enjoyed both of you. There was a lot of enjoyment in, in the time that you guys spent in the service. Um, I, we talked about your low light right there. What was probably the worst part for you? Man, I would probably say I, I didn't have too many bad moments. A lot of people look at things differently than the way I do. I'm a medic, so I see a lot of things and that people normally don't see. So I can't really say any of that kind of stuff was bad. The only thing that was really horrible for me was when I left Arkansas and I had a sergeant there and she was going through some issues and stuff and she was trying to reach out to other people to let them know that she needed help. Basically, she felt like she was drowning without like a life vest. And I had left, and that's when I had moved to Arizona. And not even a month later after I had left, I had found out she committed suicide. And I was just, it was just, 
kind of like, un I couldn't believe it because all the signs were there, but nobody did anything. And I kind of feel guilty that I didn't do anything as well now that I'm looking back and I'm like, why didn't anybody else see this after I left? So I don't know. It's just weird. So that was my low, low point. See, I didn't have any suicides until I got done. Really? And then all of them, they just started piling up. They had a lot at Bragg. And, and I'll say, there, there was a lot that happened, and I'll say, even in my unit, that never got really publicized. Like, it was just kind of a thing where it got brushed under the the rug, in a sense. Like, hey, this per, you know this officer killed himself. And you're like, okay. Um, and nothing really came of it. No talk, no... You know, hey, if you're having issues, come talk to it no was like PME, but we had to sit through one yeah. if we wanted to go on a long weekend. Exactly. Absolutely. And I, and it's an issue. You know, the veteran suicide rates what twenty it went down to twenty, I believe, from twenty two yeah. um a day. And I think that's something that needs to get hit on a lot more. Just like she said, there's a lot of signs and symptoms. It's of people. so taboo. Nobody yeah. wants to talk about it for some reason and it's a massive issue. I don't get it. Yeah. I'm not in I really <laughs> want you guys to really talk about this, but I'm so passionate about this topic that like, I just have to say it, that I truly know by watching people that there is something about acute situations and the way people freeze up in those situations to act. And I, you, for the longest time, had the hardest time understanding why I was the only one stopping on the freeway when people were in accidents, why I was the only one breaking up fights, why I was the only one doing this stuff. And I just think it, it speaks to, I mean, ego aside to the type of people that we are um, and how and just how different everybody is and, and how I think that those people who, who have those tendencies, at least for myself, I wish, you know, more people would, would know that it's okay because for the most part, it's socially unacceptable. Exactly. Yep, absolutely. And, and I, you know, that kind of brings up a topic I've noticed even now that I'm a student in school is – People are very – it's very hard to socialize with people because they're, they're afraid to – this is my opinion. They're, they're afraid to sound stupid or, you know, not smart about a subject. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm not about everything. I'm not the brightest. But I like to continue to, uh, to talk to students and learn about them. But they just kind of want to shut off and not really talk to me. So I've had a tough time with that. And I think it translates into how, you know, society is, is people are afraid to talk or interact socially together, um, even whether it be for something good or just as you explained, a, a car accident on the side of the road. People don't like, well, that's not my problem. And, and I, being in the military, we're like, hey, that's a, that's an issue. You know, if someone needs help, I will stop and help them. Like, that, that's not a problem. And the same thing with just conversing with people. I've, I've found that's been a a, a challenge in school. I, I should say. It's it's definitely a challenge. We're going to have more with Michael and Cammie Leal after these messages. We want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of ASU Veteran Diaries. I'm your host, Chris Cadeau. Stay tuned. Work it, make it, do it. Makes us older, better, faster, stronger. Get that, 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 that don't kill me. Can only make us stronger. Welcome back from the break. I am your host, Chris Cadeau, and you are listening to ASU Veteran Diaries on BlazeRadioOnline.com. This week, two very special guests. We get a married couple in uh, Michael and Cammie Leal, Army veterans who are now personal trainers, for, and they own their own company, Team Leal, and absolutely thriving in the veteran community. And on social media as well, we're going to talk more about that in a couple minutes, but I wanted to dive back into where we're at. So you guys spent oh, eight years in the Army, and when you assess that moment that you're like, all right, it's time, what was that like for you? It, it was difficult because, you know, I was already up for uh, promotion to uh, Sergeant First Class, which is E7, and to turn down that packet – and, you know, kind of venture out on my own. It was difficult, but I knew for our relationship and what we wanted to do, it was what we wanted as a, you know, a family. It was either you were getting out or you were going to special to, for To place. Delta Force. Yeah. That was my, those were my only two options. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of tired of being gone. You know, I've done my time here. I've, I've served, you know, with some of the greatest men and women on this planet. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to move on with my life outside of the military. And but with me, I let him make that decision. 
I was never like, it is time for you to get out of the military. We don't see each other. Like, I never put that on him. I let him make that decision on his own. And I was always supportive whichever route he would take. So when you say supportive, it was, the, was it the, I don't care? No, it was like, if you go to join CAG, I will be right there by your side cheering you on. Or if you get out, we will figure out what we're doing with our lives and we will be great. Either way. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and now I, I, I was in the same boat because she wanted to go to flight medic school. And I was like, yep. do it. Like, this is your career. And then we kind of were like, mm, no, I, I got done with my last deployment and I just made the decision. I was like, hey, we have a year before my contract's over. Let's start planning what our future would be like and where to go and what to do. So. Yeah, because my next avenue would have been flight medic. And then I, I would have had a slot available and everything ready to go. And then, but we made the decision that we were getting out. It was time. So when you, you, what was the difference in like signing on the line? Like how, how, how far apart were you guys as far as ending, breaking off completely from the service? Like the same month. Yeah. What? <laughs> it was so crazy. That's what I'm saying. It was meant to be. Like his is December 1st First, and, hers and was mine the was the 19th. Oh yeah, 19th. Yeah. <laughs> so it lined it, up perfectly. It never happens like that. To get out. <laughs> I mean... Like, people try to, like, be married in the service and can't even get stationed together. Y'all are, like, getting out together. Yep. I know. Isn't it crazy? That's why I knew it was time. Like, everything was just, all the stars were aligned. Absolutely. So stars aligned, and you sign on the dotted line, and now you're waiting for, <laughs> I mean, there's things that you can do. You can go to school. That takes time. Even if you... Even if you go right out of the military, it's going to take two months for your funding. Unemployment takes two months. All that other type of stuff. Was transition in the first six months tough? So let's. we want to talk to soldiers exactly on how to transition out of the military. Let's do it. And for it to be done the correct way to where you're not... Scrambling for anything. Exactly. I, I felt that way. I felt that I was drowning at some point because there's so much information they try to give you right before you get out. And you can't process it all, like even getting so, my GI Bill, stuff like that. I want you to let them know what you did a year before you got out. So <laughs> my recommendation to people is if, you, you know, sometimes you, you got to make the decision, you know, a month before you get out kind of deal. You know, I, I, get, I get it that that happens. But if you plan on getting out, you have to have a plan. In the meetings that I was going to, um, you know, that they make you mandatorily go to before you get out, there was young kids in there, you know, and when the you know instructor was asking, oh, what are you going to do when you get out? They had no idea. And that <laughs> that's very scary because the real world's a lot different. There's things like health insurance. There's things like having your own job, like all that kind of stuff, supporting people. And I think that you have to have a game plan and you have to start planning, my, my opinion, a year tell them out. What you, tell them what your game plan was. So I told her, I was like, hey, I want to go back to school. No, tell them about integrating out of the military, why it, why your stuff didn't have a break, and what soldiers need to do to not have a break. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let me go back to that. So, <laughs> I have to keep you on track, babe. Get it right, and, and, same, and same thing with, uh, this was the big part, was with the disability portion for, you know, getting disability. I started my process a year out. Um, so that way, the la my last month in before I took terminal leave, I had everything complete, every doctor's visit, everything. So when I got out um, in December, I literally started getting my disability pay the next month. So now, I had no lapse in pay. So some people will like this and some people yeah. won't. But you have to understand, you are now getting out of the military. If you have made this decision to get out, now you have to take action. Now you will have... <laughs> Some soldiers that will try to make you do work that you don't need to, <laughs> like work just like around like go mopping or sweeping or something like that. That's when you need to tell this leadership, you need to be like, I'm taking care of myself. I'm preparing myself for when I get out. So I need to make my appointments. And that's what I, I've run into with a lot of my friends getting out. Um, you know, I'd be like, hey, did you get this medical done? Did you go see this person? They're like, no, my work wouldn't let me. And I'm like... I, I yelled at them like you need to tell them you know you have to take care of yourself because if you're not set up before you get out you're gonna be in a world of pain well that's disheartening because i feel like it was the same exact way when i got out in <laughs> 2011 and then again when same. i got recalled and back out in 13 if it, you if yeah. you have a use they will use you and i remember that some one of my leadership saying 
that to somebody who was getting out for an I think it was an OTH uh, or something like that. He did something and he said, "Well, that's fine." It is. I remember he said it at his board because we had to sit in on it, and uh, they're like, "Well, the fact of the matter is, he's useless to us." Plain and simple. It's crazy. So until you're useless, which means by the time you sign on that dotted line, the day you're getting your DD two fourteen, they're going to use you. Yep. And and that that try that. They started to try to do that to me, like going to shoot detail and DZSL, all this other stuff. And I had a point, I legit had a point. You can ask her. I was in appointments, what, two or three times a week in the TBI clinic, at the PTSD clinic, everything, because I wanted to make sure my medical and all that other stuff was taken care of before I got out. And I, I talked to my friends now, and some of them are waiting just for their first appointment for six to seven months. Mm-hmm. And, After you and that's out. just one of the multiple ones you got to go to. Um, to even get disability. Yeah, to even get disability. And same thing it applies to the GI Bill. There was things I didn't know about until I even got here to school and we had our, our meeting with um, the veterans um, that no one tells you about. And then you got to scramble to figure out things. I'm like, should I go full-time? Should I go part-time? I'll only get paid this much You know, if I go part-time, all that other stuff. Um, it's, it's basically getting fed with a fire hose. So now transitions happen and, and you're going to school. Michael, what are you studying? Uh, so yeah, what, what, what are you studying in school? Studying. Um, I actually just changed <laughs> from fun. kinesiology to exercise and wellness because prior to joining the military, I was actually two credits, two classes shy of <laughs> getting my bachelor's in information science with a computer science minor. Like I said, I was a nerd. But um, kinesiology... I was looking to still just do the masters and use the GI Bill to get the uh, clinical uh, exercise um, master's degree, but you can get the same one with exercise and wellness. And I only need 40 credits for exercise and wellness, and I need 80 for kinesiology. So I was like, kind of a no-brainer there on that. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. And and Cami, what have you gotten into since you transitioned? So I also was going for kinesiology. I'm out. No, <laughs> I just I switched my major. Um, this is something that I've been wanting to do. I've ever since I was in the military, it was either PA or flight medic. Well, I, I'm not doing flight medic anymore, so I might as well go PA. I want to do emergency medicine PA. So I want to be. I love medicine. I can't help it. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it's about the fifth time you said that. And I know. Each time, each time I've wanted to like kind of dig in on it and, and i'm going to is it is it just helping people that does it for you is it something about like at least this is what i would think for me i can't stand open wounds i think they're disgusting and when people want to show off like their surgeries and crap <laughs> like that like i'm all good but like when it's acute like somebody like life or death i can handle that um so at least for me that's how i know i think i would be okay with doing medicine what makes it okay for you <laughs> Um, nothing grosses me out. I've, I've seen it all. Um, I used to be a paramedic in Little Rock, Arkansas, in the city. If y'all don't know anything about Little Rock, it might be country, but they have some crazy stuff that goes on in the city. So I don't know. What happens with me is when I get an emergency or like a massive trauma or even a mass cow or just anything, everything slows down and I can see the next step to do if it makes sense. Like when somebody's anxiety gets so fast, like they they don't know what to do. They get so frantic. With mine, everything slows down and I see what next step I need to do to further help the patient. It's insane. All right, cool. So we're on the same level. Now here's it. And let's see if we're connecting here. Okay. But when it's over, like when when all the craziness has stopped, for me at least, it could be 10 minutes. It could be two days later when it hits sometimes it can be really tough to deal with. Only certain calls have I ever had to sit back and be like, did that really just happen? And it's mainly, of course, it's all the kid calls. Like, I don't have a child, but to see, like, a little baby taking care of a little baby that's lifeless is pretty, like, traumatizing. It's like, okay, I wasn't expecting this today at work. Um, So certain things have resonated, and I still think about it, but... For the majority, I would say about like ninety eight percent of my calls, like I'm okay. <laughs> okay, so what, what's cap transition on this? What for, for because you guys are fresh in it with the identity part, identity being so much a part of who you are in the service, and now that you're starting to build your own identity, what advice do you have for veterans that are that are coming into this mold right now? 
No first for me. This is going to sound corny, but <laughs> <laughs> be yourself. Don't try to be something that somebody else wants you to be. You need to be exactly who you are supposed to be. And it's to find out who that person is. Not a lot of people know. It's insane. That wasn't corny. That was actually quite, <laughs> quite profound. Thanks. <laughs> and, and similarly to that, you know, a lot of soldiers that join, join when they're very young, 18, you know, 17 in some cases. Um, and when they get out, they haven't really experienced life. So they have to take what they learned in the military, be themselves, but also carry that, that military bearing and character that they developed into the real world because it translates. Um and I'm grateful for that because I, I wouldn't be the same person I am now if I wasn't in the military. I would be a slacker. <laughs> so that that's the big thing I, I would say, especially to the younger people getting out who don't do 20 years or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, to really find yourself and, and, and love what you do and enjoy what you do. Um, that's why we found our personal training is like this. This is our passion. Like we eat, live, breathe all this stuff. Um and we like to help people, and that, that's what our passion is. All right, so try, time to paint a picture for you guys at home. Uh, we're going to move into the part where we're going to talk about what, what Team Leal is doing together. Um, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty fantastic. when you If, you, if you're a person who measures uh, standards and uh, personal um, goals off of how well you're rated on social media, they're doing fantastic. <laughs> uh, but... On the, the other side of it, uh, just painting the picture, I I am 5'11", 225 pounds, uh, and I very rarely get around other people who are my size and my build, uh, and Michael and Cammy both are extremely fit, and they, they're they doing the deal, you can tell, uh, in the gym and, and putting in their work. It's, it's probably a 14-hour-a-week lifestyle, if I can guess, um, if I could put a number on it. <laughs> But Team Leo, what is it? What's the response been? Where are you guys at now? Where are you going? Well, Cami basically started it. I didn't really train people. I was on the under. I was in the underground, the black market of of training, um, because I think a lot of people get lost in. Hey, I I did a competition or I read something on bodybuilding.com and now I get to train people. Um, and we evolved from that. We had to learn. We had to actually. Oh, train I did a, pro bono work. We had before. to train a lot of people for free. And um, that's how we built ourselves because you have you have to have. Did you hear her voice when she said pro bono? Like, <laughs> when she realized how much she could get paid for this, she I was did like, pro bono. <laughs> no, because you have you have to show that you have credibility, that you know what you're doing. So in it, order to do that, you got to show them something. And I tell new people, um, especially want to be trainers, because they, I mean, we have hundred plus clients worldwide, um, and we get more and more every day, et cetera. And we tell people the way we built ourselves is like, it's like a tattoo artist. You have to display your work. And if you can't display your work and that's what you use social media for is, Hey, these are the people, this is 12 weeks. This is 50 pounds. This is 20 pounds. I mean, you have to show people that you get results and what you do works. And, um, that's what we do. And people, you know, when we go live on Instagram or we post client pictures, people hit us up and they're like, Hey, I want to make a change. And the response, what well, this last year has been insane, insane. Um, to the point where she actually had to drop down to part-time at school Sorry, because we have so many clients. And what we took was we've had personal trainers in the past. We, we've taken what we like and what we don't like. Um, obviously, we took the, what we don't like and threw it out. <laughs> but we give our clients what we expect. Yeah, everything we expect from a trainer. Um, you know, even at our level trying to be pros because not everyone's at that and not everyone's a bodybuilder, but we give them the attention um, that they deserve and they pay for. And a lot of people don't get that. Now, yeah. when you say a lot of people don't get it, is it is it more of an aspect they don't they don't understand uh, the the commitment that it takes to be able to be successful or they just don't understand exactly where you guys are at in your life and how you guys are going to go about doing it. So a little bit of both because uh, a lot of people just think you can like look at a plan and be like, oh my God, okay, I lost five pounds. It doesn't work that way. So they're not realizing exactly how much work needs to be put in to get the results that they want. And then I forgot where else. The, the coaching, how, so I'll, I'll answer that last part though. The, the coaching aspect is we, we take everything that we didn't like about 
previous coaching styles, et cetera. And when we give people attention, they get our full attention no matter what as far as um, the workouts, you know, being able to be contacted 24-7 about everything. Um, and a lot of – I'm not going to name drop, oh but we know a lot of pro coaches. We know a lot of big people in the industry that when – their clients hit them up. They don't get a plan for what one to two weeks. They don't get a response, response back, and they're paying double of what people pay us. That's where I was going with yeah. that. And that—that's the difference. Is that we know that that happens. You know, even with the big professional, you know, trainers, and what happens? Their clients come to us. So I just, I'm, I'm, my response time is very fast. That's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> I don't like to keep people waiting. <laughs> so do you guys think that because this is something that like you love that that you guys are like you guys are infatuated with the science of it i'm sure oh absolutely um, that that that's what the difference is between you two as a trainer and people who think that they've arrived as trainers i i completely uh, agree with that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um and it's not even to say to toot my own horn but I, I've been in the trenches. I've done the work for what five years now, four years. I've experienced so much, and I, I'm nowhere near a pro. I'm not that level. But when people come to you, uh, like friends of mine that are trainers, and they're like, "Hey, I don't know what to do," I'm the guy that they reach out to, and I'm like, "Send me the plan that you have. You gave this person. You know, I help out other trainers for free that are junior. You know, or even like my trainer Josh. Him and I talk about stuff that we do." I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, you think you should? And then we just reach a compromise. And a lot of it's just going back and forth and learning the ropes and the basics. And if you can master the basics, and that's – it's just like even the military. If you're an expert at the basics, you're going to be an expert at everything else. Cammy, your Instagram blew up. I mean, and that's not even like a word. Like you went viral? That's actually like the new one. My old one, I had more. <laughs> yeah, I think my old one got hacked. I, I woke up one morning because you know th this is how we do our business is through Instagram, and her account was completely gone, and she had over 115,000 followers. Something like that, I guess. And we had to start <laughs> brand new. 115,000. <laughs> he was more freaked out than I was. It was five o'clock in the morning. I was like, "Why are you waking me up right now for, over Instagram?" <laughs> I've been doing media here at ASU for like the last two and a half years, and I opened a Twitter, and I still have like 232 people. Okay. So he was like freaked out, and I was like. Again, this is where I'm just like, oh, we'll just start again then. And so I started a new and, and, one. And what's and funny like, is we tell people <laughs> that with that 115, of course we had a lot of clients, but when we got the new Instagram, her new one, we actually got like more. way more, which was really odd. But and I was worried about my business. But yeah, that's what we were worried about. But we've after been that, I was fine. like, eh, okay, it's fine. <laughs> All right, coolness aside of how many people follow you, how much does that enhance what you guys are able to do with your business now? Uh, so social media is pretty amazing. When you can sit here and reach somebody, like I have clients in Kuwait, Afghanistan, Japan. When you can have clients all over the world and you can tap into that many people, isn't that crazy? And I try to tell people that, that you train people like yeah. like via like Skype almost. Well, I give them plans, but okay. if they need if they need assistance or need help with form or anything, they have my cell phone. Yeah, we usually on the weekends. <laughs> That, that I mean, she's part-time, but on the weekends, I pose with my male clients. I teach, you know, because they, they, they ha I have to be one-on-one -on -one and hands-on with them in a sense, um, even if we're in you know, those distance. Technology So awesome. I have to see them. So that's the whole point of the technology um, aspect. And some people like it. Some people don't. Um, and some that's people like the one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. I don't know. So what would you – I mean, if you were to like – because somebody's going to ask you this, I mean, as, as you guys continue to go, what, what would you say like your, your percentage of, of – growth has been contributed by social media all of it all of it completely all of it and I, I i explained it to a friend of mine who actually got really big and on social media recently a fellow ranger of mine actually uh, maverick yeah and um i told him i said once you start posting your clients and stuff like that um it's going to end up reaching more people and like for example if she has she has instagram famous people that she trains and, you know, one girl has 60,000 followers. And when she posts, hey, this is my coach, Cammy, that's 60,000 people that know that, hey, this girl trains, you know, so-and-so. So that that's how the, our growth has just skyrocketed, um, you know, just with our team and how we do things. So that, that's, that's what the, the age we live in now, social media. So 
you have to capitalize on it. What's the best part about this thing for you guys? That I get to work from home. Absolutely, that's the easiest part. <laughs> we we literally if you, up, if people see honest. our Instagram stuff like we are on our laptops or phones all day. So it's like it's like a a love hate relationship like with any job though. So with a regular job, you have a nine to five, you're off on weekends. Mine, I get to work from home, but I work seven days a week. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. I get to be at home. Yeah, and I mean, there's sometimes where it's stressful because you have so many clients and then it's like what like a sunday and then oh, everyone needs man, to update I have so many clients <laughs> i don't know what to do but no, I'm just kidding <laughs> like us with the attention to detail we don't like to leave people left out it gives me anxiety yeah i'm like oh my god i gotta make this plan like because i feel bad because uh, knowing me i like i want immediate satisfaction i want my plan uh, now how understanding are you two on those those pivot points because sometimes my wife's not very understanding of me pivoting because i have to do stuff and i know it's just because you guys have been working all the time <laughs> how understanding working together can you guys the, the coexist when it has to get done good question good question because we've actually had fights about this because i would constantly be on my phone from six in the morning to midnight. So when I went to bed, just emailing, talking to clients, doing all this stuff. And finally he had to sit me down and he had to be like, we have to have a life too. <laughs> and yeah. so I had to like kind of learn how to structure my work and myself to be able to have a home life too. Cause I would, I'm a workaholic. I will work like all the time. So he knows that. So, he, so we had to set, set time. So like from nine to five, Seven days a week, you can reach me on my cell phone if you need me. Other than that, after five, you can email me and I, I can contact you after that. So I had to, I had to, he had to lay down the law because well, I was overdoing it. It does it. get difficult for both because we both obviously have clients <laughs> and then her phone would be going off at two in the morning because she has someone in Germany and then someone in Hawaii. And that's happened to both of us. Or we have, or both of us have people competing in different states or different countries. Yeah, um, I had on the one same in weekend. Hawaii and one in Japan. <laughs> and when I was putting one to sleep, I was waking the other one up. So and I yeah. didn't get sleep for two days. I was like, oh, my God. And every two hours to an hour, you have to be checking in with them, seeing how they look, you know, how much they pee, et cetera. I mean, it, you're down to that nitty-gritty oh. detail. No, and I, and I believe it. So, I mean, the other part is that you two are both type A personalities. Like, there is no, like, <laughs> there is I no think, I, I think questioning I'm more that type part. A. Uh -huh than he is so so with that there there's also the the aspect that if and i know it's possible do you, does your relationship structure the the fact that you guys respect each other so much that when one of them one of you guys tell each other to do something even if it really grinds your gears there's a part of you that listens it's usually me. Yes. <laughs> because you have to, you figure you have to have that type of relationship for it to work. I can't always be the boss all the time. <laughs> I got to let him be the boss sometimes. <laughs> well, that's cool. And, and I think in the beginning it was difficult because, yes, we both have type A. We would always get on each other's cases and get in fights about stuff. But now that we have it. I don't say completely figured out, but we have a system for it to work. Yeah, after it's you way... laid the law down and told me to stop talking to you the way I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, because I'm being she's honest. she's passionate. She's passionate about her clients and her work, and I I completely I'm agree with that. I'm a very straight, sh like stern, just sharpshooter. Yeah. I'm just like, hey, get this done. I need it done now. Like, yeah. why are you lollygagging around? Just go do it. And, like, and I was in your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the type of personality I am. He is more. He's nice. He's bumper pads on a bowling alley. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So that's how we. <laughs> <laughs> and once we got it figured out, it it's smooth, you know, like on our way here to the, the radio station work. she was working and, you know, we were just talking about stuff and that's just how it works for you us. You learn how to multitask. Yeah. <laughs> so when it, where do you see this thing going? Where do you see Instagram, social media, it enhancing? Where do you see your business five years from now, 10 years from now? Hopefully we're, we're having our website made, hopefully to where I can kind of focus more on school and less on clients, if it makes sense. Having a website and having it designed and built to where it would knock out some of my work, if it makes sense. Yeah, like I, I could kind of talk yeah, about that, you're that more, piece because I'm, I'm helping develop that. Yeah. Um, because a lot of it, like we mentioned before, her being on her phone and us replying to customers or clients, excuse me, constantly if we can have it all on one website where you know hey they log in they put in their information you know for the week and we can get back to them you know immediately through email instead of hey i got a text message at two in the morning that i have to reply you know that kind of so deal. that's the short view that's what we're doing yeah. now that's getting that's getting and hopefully up. we have our own personal training studio something like that um 
I don't want to put all my chips and you know on the table for that one, but it's kind of one of the things that's going to evolve, you know, your as fitness we yeah, as we go. Like so. the industry is evolving so much right now that, um, you know, we're just kind of winging it, winging it. <laughs> so like Bora Bora in like 15 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I nice. wish. Like, like that type of good. We got Hawaii this year. Yeah, going to Hawaii. For, this is her first vacation ever to Hawaii. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming down to the wire with Michael and Cami Leal, Army veterans, and they are the creators of Team Leal. They're personal trainers now, both Arizona State students. And the way I like to always end the show is kind of, you know, paint, painting a picture and getting your guys' perspective for, you know, for situations with, with other veterans. And, you know, you talk about your story. And, and kind of, you know, how, how you guys came have came through to, to where you're at now. Uh, and it sounds like there's a lot of positive uh, mental attitudes that, that help you through that. But, you know, when you have a veteran or when you meet a veteran who's struggling um, and, you know, they're at that wit's end of, of everything, what do you say to them? Me, me personally um... – if someone reaches out to me specifically, I say, what's up? Let's talk. Whether it be, I don't care what time it is. I've had people call me at two, three in the morning, you know, during a work week and it's, it's talking, it's communication. And that's where people fail the majority of the time. And, and I'm open, you know, I, I say this even when I go live on Instagram, if you have an, you know, a problem, whether you're a soldier or not, hit me up. I'll converse with you. You know, there, there's always other options besides, you know, doing harm to yourself or others. So that that's my perspective on it. Mine, I'm a fixer. <laughs> I am a fixer to heart. Like, I will. I will sit you down. Whatever you're having issues with, we will write it down and we will figure out a way to fix it. Like, there's always there's always a solution. That's what people don't understand. Yeah. People always think that there's like – There's no hope. There's or... no hope. This is the end. There's I can't do anything different. But actually, yes, you can. There's so many different avenues you can always take. But unless you sit down and, like, write it out and it's, like, visual in front of your face, you're always going to have that hopelessness thinking until you write it out and are like, hey, this I can do this to fix this. I'm a fixer. Let's fix stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean – I'm a fixer too, and, and sometimes it gets me in trouble in the aspect that you know oh, me too. my wife just wants to talk about stuff, and I just <laughs> want to fix it. I'm like, what are you talking about? All right, so, Cami, this question comes uh, from from the veteran community, uh, and somebody reach out, uh, and they want to know what what advice or words do you have for your fellow female veterans who may have forgotten how truly strong they are? Okay, so I've seen this done in a couple of my units where you have females that'll come in and be like, oh, I can't lift this, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> you have to understand, women are strong. We, we are very capable of doing things. I've been asked multiple times how I feel or if I feel women should be in combat arms, if they should be infantry. And my philosophy is if you can sit there and do exactly, not modified, exactly what that man can do then by all means get it girl but if you can't then so sorry it just wasn't meant for you so don't get me wrong i'm all about empowering women and having women know that they're strong but you also have to know like being strong also has its limitations i have my own limitations as well so i don't know i just think i just think you need women these days, and especially the new privates that are coming in, need to stop looking at it as, I don't want to say like a handout or having other people do the job you need to be doing. Because I've been seeing that a lot lately, and it gets under my skin. <laughs> so final question. Um, it, with What does Team Leal have to say to the veteran community that, that we haven't talked about? I kind of hit on it previously as far as, you know, talking, but, you know, a lot of our team members are actually in the military. Well, I like to call it iron therapy, if it makes any sense. So this is what I've discussed before when I've done, like, um, tours for PTSD and suicide awareness. When you're deployed, what do you do? You work out and you eat. It's monotonous. It's over and over. But what happens when you come home? You stop working out. You stop feeling good about yourself. You go into your old routine, and you miss that part of what you had when you were deployed. If if soldiers would continue, and I know this sounds so cheesy, if you would continue that fitness on when you get home, 
life might be able to be integrated just a little bit better. Or even when you get out. And, I, and yeah. I'll, I'll kind of say my part on that as far as I can't even tell you how many direct messages I get saying, hey, I used to be in the military. I let myself go. Um, everything along the lines of that. And a lot of it is just having that the personal it sounds cheesy, the, the <laughs> personal courage to say, hey, I messed up. How do I get back on track? And that's how do what, I fix it? And that's what our team is about. Like, how, how, how do I, I get it? a plan to fix it? And that's what our team is. Like, this is the plan. Uh, do do X, Y, and Z, and we'll go from there. Well, that concludes this episode of ASU Veteran Diaries on blazeradioonline.com. If you ever want to reach out to myself or be a part of Veteran Diaries, you can reach me at ccadeau at asu.edu, phonetic alphabet, charlie, charlie, alpha, delta, echo, alpha, uniform, at asu.edu. And if you're listening to this on iTunes or SoundCloud as a podcast, thank you so much. A huge thank you once again to Michael and Cammy, Guys, I mean, just go out there and keep slaying it. You guys are doing amazing jobs. I can't wait to see what your future holds. And everyone listening around the world, ensure that a conversation with a veteran is never just thank you for your service. Okay, smarty, go to a party. Girls are scantily clad, a showing body. A chick walks by, you wish you could sex her, but you're standing on the wall like you was Poindexter. Next day's function, high-class luncheon. Food is served in your stone-cold munching.